Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to go down and go to hell. I'm not alone. Down for 911, where's your emergency? Oh, this is Sandy. We're pretty one look. Talk to the road. Send the police. Send the police. One in the chest, one in the head. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started. Eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. I'll, I'll wear a male car with his hands to a coffee table and just, just pull the head of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little cher- cherub face, cherub face little boy who would, who, who would, who, who, whose life would be... I harm someone if you don't kill someone to be an enormous amount of uh, especially at first uh, enormous amount of uh, horror guilt remorse afterwards but then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger mad dog morgan was one of australia's most feared bush rangers resentful bitter and bent on revenge after being wrongly convicted morgan terrorized the australian countryside and was known for his erratic violent and rambunctious behavior His tendency toward impulsive cruelty and unpredictable mood swings earned him the title Mad Dog. Morgan would often brutally murder his victims, only to weep and beg for forgiveness as they lay dying in his arms. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraband. And this is Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. Now, being a comedy true crime podcast means that we use dark humour as a means to tell horrifying stories. And although they're never at the expense of the victims or their families, we do make jokes. If you think humour has no business being associated with tragedy, then Bloody Murder will not be the podcast for you. Now, before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to remind you this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. We've had loads of new ones join our fancy Patreon program, which we will thank individually after our story. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. As a patron, you have access to dozens of other episodes, including our highly addictive and unconventional first season, and ad-free versions of all our regular episodes. As well as exclusive, uncensored, patron-only monthly episodes, where we really let loose. And levels above $5 receive free stickers and handmade Barney badges. And of course, you're automatically entered into the draw for our monthly giveaways. All right, Tara, let's get murdery. Do you want to kick us off, Barney? Sure. Mad Dog Morgan was born John Fuller in Appen, New South Wales, Australia on April 30th, 1830. Born to Irish ex-convicts mother, Mary the Gypsy Owen and father George Fuller. 
His father, George, worked in and about the Haymarket area of Sydney where he pushed a vegetable and fruit barrow. Get your turnips fresh from the wheelbarrow. Morgan's biological parents really did not want their illegitimate kid, and at two years old, Morgan was adopted by a kind-hearted bloke by the name of Jack the Welshman. Jack was indeed a man, and he was indeed from Wales. Oh, the aptly titled Jack the Welshman. That's right. At the age of 17, Morgan said goodbye to his adopted da, Jack the Welshman, and left Campbelltown and secured gainful employment as a stock rider on a cattle station on the Murrumbidgee River. Morgan, like a dog on a skateboard, was a natural. He worked hard at the station for seven years and was well-liked. Although suspected of being a filthy cattle duffer or thief, nothing was ever proven, but it was said that his clever thieving did not go unnoticed and ruffled the feathers of more than a few local landowners. In 1854, Morgan headed to Victoria. This was during the peak of the Victorian gold rush. It was a time of lawlessness, Tara, but also hope, as there was an opportunity for great fortunes to be made. But not by Morgan. Mm -mm. Though there was indeed gold in them dark hills, none of it made its way into his hopeful hands. Not finding any gold and being a bit pissy, Morgan started stealing horses, food and clothing from local farms. Firmly on the cops' radar, he was soon nabbed. This is how it went down, according to a letter written by a Victorian mounted trooper based at Avoca. One afternoon, a landowner by the name of Swanston arrived at the local cop shop and complained that his horse had been pinched by Dan Morgan. Morgan told him, If you come looking for your horse, you'll come to grief, and if you keep dogging me with a rifle, like you were this morning, I'll surely take your life. The trooper, two constables, Swanston and a tracker set off looking for Morgan along the Avoca River. After two days of searching, late one night they came across a small hut. They creeped around the property and noticed two horses tied up out the back. Swanston recognised one of the horses as his. The problem is the horse recognised him too and gave him a loud, hearty, Nay! Hello! Losing the element of surprise, they decided to just bang on the door and demand entry. Open up in the name of the Queen! According to the letter, the owner of the mansion has little reverence for Her Majesty as there he remains with dogged silence. That's when they decided to break the door down. They entered the hut with a candle in one hand and a revolver in the other. Like an aggressive ghost. Exactly. They searched the room only to find a decrepit old man with a wooden leg lying on a decrepit old man rickety bed. The coppers asked him, Do you know anything about those horses outside? The old geezer replied, Oh no, I know nothing about them. When they asked him if he knew Dan Morgan, the old man replied, Nope. Never heard of him. The troopers didn't believe him, so they pulled him out of the bed and threatened to set fire to his wooden leg. That's a bit harsh. I know, although I guess it's better than threatening to set fire to his flesh leg. I need that for walking. Yeah, you need them both, really. As he was more scared of Morgan than the troopers' matches, the old man remained silent. Looking around the hut, the troopers noticed something peculiar under the bed. After moving it out of the way, they found a trapdoor, which led to a tiny room with dirt walls. The trooper ordered one of the smallest constables into the hole, and there, cowering in the corner with a couple of revolvers in his hands, they found Morgan. The trooper described him in his letter as being tall and skinny, with dark, long-curled hair and a dark, scruffy beard. Jet black his hair was, piercing blue eyes and waving a couple of revolvers. 
I like when he bit, went a bit Yoda there. Jet black his hair was. Jet black his hair was. Mm. Jet black his hair. Yeah. Another trooper said he had a long hook nose, which made him look like a ferocious bird of prey. Geez, they're not very complimentary, these troopers, no. are they? They're a little bit mm. judgy, hey? Oh, that Morgan, he's a bit of a dreamboat. I, I no, know. I no, they, they didn't they, say that. No, they were like, he's a bit ugh. We don't, we don't fancy him at all. Maybe they were protesting too much and they actually had the hots for uh, probably. Yeah, you know, mm. they look up, they see like birds of prey and they're like, oh, baby, if only I could get yeah. me a slice of that. That's right. Hey, baby. Mm. After a bit of a stare off, the trooper said to him, Morgan, my old boy, I've been looking forward to catching up with you. I have had a couple of good hunts last winter, but your time's come. Morgan cussed him out and said, You old ghosts, if you're men or you move, I'll fire and I have enough here for all of yous. One constable responded, Well, me hearty, I'll lead you off in just a second. But the sergeant Nick sat and said, Steady, steady. The man will come quietly. No need to shoot him like a dog. Well, there's no need to shoot a dog either. Yes, I know I'm arguing with a guy from the 1800s, but still. It's a brutal time. It really was. <sighs> the police sergeant read out the warrant for Morgan's arrest and told him that there were three more men outside, so no funny business. Mm-mm. Morgan surrendered and handed over his revolvers to the brash young constable that wanted to go him. As he did so, he said to them, I could have got you and I probably would have got one other, but I may have lost my life. And if I hadn't, they surely would have hanged me. And I'm too young for that yet. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm feeling too young for this shit. He's like the opposite of Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon. That's right. IDK, feeling kind of cute today. Don't want to get shot. Yeah, yeah. As they dragged him out of the hole, Morgan asked the sergeant, So what am I worth now you have me? The sergeant replied, Morgan, you're worth a hundred pounds. Morgan snort laughed and said, I didn't think I was such a valuable animal. As the troopers dragged Morgan out of the hut, he nodded to the old man. Once outside, Morgan saw Swanston, the landowner. He called him all the swears he knew and then took a swing at him. The troopers tried to calm Morgan down. Not particularly skilled in the art of soothing the emotions of felons, they eventually gave him a crack on the head with a pistol butt. Morgan was transported from Avoca back to Castle Main. Once he woke up from his pistol-whipping nap, he was chatting and laughing with the police along the way. They described him as a jovial vagabond. Is there nothing a crack on the head with a pistol butt can't fix? I don't think there is. On arrival at Castlemaine, Morgan was surprised when he was charged with highway robbery and put before a judge, Sir Redmond Barry. After being found guilty, Dan Morgan was sentenced to 12 years hard labour. Sure, he'd pinched some horses, but Morgan was pretty damn sure he hadn't done any highway robberies and he found his predicament to be very unfair. For some reason, which we couldn't find an explanation for, Dan Morgan was imprisoned under the name of John Smith, with his profession listed as jockey. Well, he did like horses. Yeah, that's true. Mm. He liked stealing horses. Morgan, alias Smith, the five-foot-ten jockey, served four long, hard years in Pentridge Prison in Melbourne, busting rocks. Then he was transferred to the prison ship Success on the Williamstown Breakwater. The ironically titled prison ship was a floating hellhole where Morgan was severely beaten, sexually abused and brutalised in all the ways. In June 1860, after only being locked up for six years in total, Morgan was released on a ticket of leave for good behaviour, which is kind of like parole. Before his time aboard the success, Morgan was not exactly a good dog, but he had all his faculties. Yeah, afterwards... 
All bets are off. Mad Dog Morgan was born out of the blood and the brutality of the prison ship and was irrevocably changed, possibly due to head injuries sustained during the frequent beatings he received. After his release, Morgan failed to report to any of the cop shops in the Ovens Police District as required, and soon a warrant was issued for his arrest. On June 22, 1863, the following item appeared in newspapers. On Friday afternoon, news came into Albury that three of the young Pertels and two young men named Pabst were stuck up by a couple of men answering to the description of Morgan and his mate. The lads were proceeding from Ten Mile Creek to attend some races at Merritt's Cookadinia Inn. They were robbed of three racehorses and three saddles and bridles, also of 15 shillings in cash. One of the horses has since returned to Ten Mile Creek, minus the saddle and bridle. Oh, so it was nude. A naked horse. Ooh, avert your eyes. Two months later, Morgan was spotted in the Upper King River area pilfering stuff off local stations. Edmund Bond and fellow squatter, the lazily named Evan Evans, saw Morgan with some stolen bedding and blankets over his shoulder, legging it through the bush. They gave chase and shot Morgan in the arm with a shotgun. Ow! Wounded, Morgan stole yet another horse and got away, escaping back to New South Wales. Morgan figured since he was up her way, he might as well visit his old mum, who was now married and living in Bathurst. Along the way, he stole two more horses to make the trip. He's like a kleptomaniac, but with horses. A kleptomaniac. Oh, God. I don't know whether to hit you or shake your hand. (laughs) I'm really sorry about that. (laughs) Just outside Bathurst, Morgan encountered a party of police. Woo! Who were tracking him for stealing the horses. But once again, the slippery sucker managed to evade arrest. Mad Dog Dan Morgan was starting to make a name for himself as a bushranger Tara. But in what could only be described as a chronic case of bad branding, Morgan started using aliases such as John Smith, Sydney Native, Sydney Bill, Dan the Breaker, Down the River Jack and Jack Morgan. Morgan, being a bit of a lone wolf, rarely operated in company. But on August 22, 1863, he had a companion known as German Bill, whose name was indeed Bill and he had the very German-sounding surname of Clark. Nine. Together, Mad Dog Morgan and German Bill Clark robbed Magistrate Henry Bayless, who was travelling north to Wagga. When Morgan demanded his cash, Bayless said, I'm a police magistrate. I don't carry any money. I only carry checks. <laughs> they searched him, and finding no cash, they gave him a kiss on the cheek and a smack on the bum and sent him on his way. But... And it's a big butt that has just been freshly smacked. When Bayliss arrived at Wagga, he raised the alarm and he and a bunch of troopers set out after Morgan and German Bill. It wasn't long before they found their campsite. They surrounded the bush rangers and Bayliss approached their tent, calling out for Morgan and German Bill to come out with your hands up. But Morgan and German Bill did not want to come out with their hands up and a good old fashioned gunfight ensued. Bayless copped a bullet in the gut and was seriously wounded. The police magistrate was dragged away and taken to Wagga, where he later recovered. Mad Dog Morgan and German Bill took advantage of this commotion and jumped on their horses, but the troopers were hot on their heels. In a pretty shitty plan to distract the troopers, Mad Dog Morgan heartlessly shot his mate German Bill in the chesticles. Uh, That's like the man boobs, right? Yeah, it's the chest area. Chest, those bowly boob man boobs. 
For some reason, which doesn't actually make sense, this plan worked and Morgan made good his escape. German Bill Clark's skeletal remains were found in the bush about a year later. That's how I say skeletal. Understandably, Morgan kept a low profile for the next year and stayed in a cave atop a large mountain, living off the land and grooming his now enormous and bushy beard. We'll be back with more of the story of Bush Ranger Mad Dog Morgan after this. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Barney. Yes, Tara. What time is it? It's true crime nerd time. True crime nerd time. True crime nerd time. True crime nerd time. I love true crime. True crime nerd time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, graphic novel, song, crab or just about anything that has scratched your true crime itch. Yes, I like crabs. I like to draw crabs. Yeah, I was going to say, though, like when was the last time that you, or any time at all, that you've heard of a crab being associated with some kind of true crime situation? There is that phrase, you see the crabby, you get the stabby. Okay, all right. Yep, I stand corrected. You can record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it, or write it and we'll read it out. And we have one here from Dawn Cena, and she's in the USA. And she writes, Hi, Barney and Tara. First off, I love the show. I've listened from the beginning. Oh, wow, and she's still listening? (laughs) She goes on to say, Any hoodle, I stumbled across a great read, The Sun Does Shine by Anthony Ray Hinton. His memoir is about his almost 30 years on death row for two murders he did not commit. At one point in the book, he was hours away from being put to death. As the book progresses, it is clear that everyone knows he is innocent. Even the guards at the prison were asking why he had not yet been released. The sentiment seemed to be, well, he's been in prison so long, he might as well stay there, even though he is innocent, someone has to pay. Oh, that's a really bad sentiment to have about justice. No. (laughs) Um, Yes. He does not claim to be a saint. In fact, at one point, he talks about when he took a car for a test drive for two years. (laughs) When he finally told his mum, she reminded him of what was right and he turned himself in and accepted the consequences. He talks about the difficulty of growing up black. He talks about the relationships he developed and how he survived in prison. He talks about his feelings of hopelessness of ever being free. The justice system stripped him of his biggest part of his life. It is a poignant story with humour mixed in along the way. For a man who missed the better part of his life locked up and lost loved ones while incarcerated, he is not bitter. He has every right to be, but instead he has become a successful speaker and worked hard to build his life. He had huge adjustments to make when he was released. He knew nothing of technology or how the world works now. 
To this day, he's still much sure he is always seen and everyone knows where he is at every moment, so he always has an alibi. Oh, see, I would hate that. I mean, unless I could get some kind of time-stamped, like, CCTV camera put on Poppy's collar. Because, nah. you know, just hanging out with her would be cool. I yeah. wouldn't want to hang out with the, the humans all the time, though. Mm, alone time is good. This book made me laugh and cry. The injustice made me so angry on his behalf. But at the end, my faith in humanity was restored. I think about this book often and think that there is a lesson to be learned in it all. He is grateful for every new day, as we all should be. Thank you both for your wonderful podcast. Oh, oh, that's lovely. That sounds like a great read. Yeah, it does. Thanks, Dawn. That book was The Sun Does Shine by Anthony Ray Hinton, the details of which will be in the show notes. Now, if you'd like to submit a true crime nerd time, visit our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for instructions on how to contribute. And now for the conclusion of Bush Ranger, Mad Dog Morgan. In 1864, Morgan was sighted in the Hentley, Colcairn, Morven and Tumbarumba areas. On June 12th that year, Morgan called in at the Round Hill Station a few kilometres from Morven. Once there, he pounded on the door at the homestead. The boss at Round Hill Station, a man by the name of Watson, answered. With revolvers in both hands, Morgan barged his way in. Once inside the homestead, he found Watson's wife, let's call her Margaret, John McLean, who was the overseer, and a young labourer named John Herriot. Morgan waved his guns at them and frog-marched them all outside and into a shed. Ribbit. When they got inside the shed, they noticed Morgan had already enclosed about 10 other farmhands and servants in there as hostages too. Morgan ordered a young servant girl to go back to the house and bring back as much rum as she could carry. He then forced all of his hostages to start drinking. When he was convinced they were all merrily drunk and not able to follow him, he mounted his horse to leave. Getting people pissed when you rob them was standard practice in Australia back in those days. It's because it's much harder to ride a horse whilst drunk. Yeah, but it's not impossible to do so. It's not impossible. You can go through bottle shops. <laughs> well, yeah, I did that Aussie as ages That's ago. That's right. About that. Well, actually, it wasn't that long ago. See, the problem was um, Morgan had also had a skin full and was more than just a little unsteady on his feet. While mounting one of the horses, he fired one of his revolvers by mistake. Not realising he'd done so, drunk as a skunk and like a dog surprised by its own fart, Morgan thought someone was taking a shot at him, so he fired back. His bullet hit young John Harriet in the leg, splintering the bone and breaking it. It's then that the station boss, Watson, drunk and possibly harbouring a death wish, said to Morgan, Those stirrup irons, Morgan, you stole those. Morgan went red in the face and demanded that Watson stand still so that he could shoot him. Yeah, and stop being so blurry too. Watson's wife, Margaret, decided they'd had enough fuckery for one day, so she stood in front of her husband and pleaded with Morgan to spare him for the sake of their children. Morgan, regretting taking so many hostages in the first place, ordered Watson to raise his hands. When he did so, Morgan shot him through one hand, narrowly missing his head, but turning his hand into a bloody stump. Watson, clutching his now destroyed hand, ran off. Young John Harriet crawled along the ground, dragging his shattered leg behind him until he eventually passed out from the pain. 
Witnesses said Mad Dog Morgan had a crazy look in his eye and was brandishing his pistol everywhere. All the drunk hostages were freaking out. It was quite a scene. Watson then calmly stepped out from behind the shed, waved his stump at Morgan and yelled, For God's sake, Morgan, stop it before you kill somebody. John McLean, the overseer, asked Morgan if he could go and get the doctor from Walla Walla Station. After Morgan reluctantly agreed, McLean mounted his horse and took off in the direction of the station, which was about 30 kilometres or 20 miles away. According to Morgan, this is what happened next. I tell him you can, but don't go down to the troopers' camp. I saw you there at the troopers' camp the other day, so don't go down that road. I watched him as he cleared the paddock and he went down that road. I mounted a horse and went after him and three times I called for him to stand. And he didn't, so I shot him. He was still alive and I brought him back to the homestead to get treatment as well. I thought he was going to betray me. Now this is a very different account from those told by witnesses and what appeared in the police report. They said after agreeing to let McLean seek medical treatment for the wounded, Morgan changed his mind and rode after him, callously shooting McLean in the back. What both accounts aground was that after McLean was shot and fell off his horse, Morgan picked him up, threw him on the back of his steed and brought him back to the homestead. He then stayed with McLean until the next day. It was reported Morgan nursed McLean in his arms, crying and pleading for forgiveness until he died. Morgan left Roundhill Station just after John McLean expired from his wounds and moments before the coppers arrived. All right then, where's Morgan? Oh, he left. You just missed him. On July 24th, 1864, Morgan approached two mounted troopers, Sergeant David McGinty and Trooper Churchley, in the scrub between Tumbarumba and Holbrook. For no apparent reason, he shot McGinty under the heart. Some say it was because the copper said a cheery hello to him. That's a bit rough. I know. Come on. Maybe he hadn't had coffee yet. Oh, yeah. Trooper Churchley, probably thinking, fuck this shit, fled the scene, although he later insisted that his horse had bolted when the shot rang out. Either way, he left his colleague, who died from his chest wound. Churchley was sacked for being absent from his post and apparently under the effects of alcohol. There were also allegations of cowardice, so pretty shit day for Churchley and McGinty. Yeah, no, it's a shit day. A few days later, some troopers came back that way and they found McGinty's hat in the middle of the track and his body lying in the bush a few feet away, stripped of its personal belongings and revolver. Ball bouncingly bad to the bone, Mad Dog Dan Morgan was now public enemy number one. After the attack made front page news across Australia, the government put a reward of £1,000 on Morgan's rather hairy head. In September 1864, Morgan, doubling down on shooting cops, shot Senior Sergeant Thomas Smythe. Smythe had been hunting Morgan for weeks. One moonless night, Smythe and three other troopers were getting ready for bed inside their tent. I think Queen Victoria is a bit of all right. I fucking hate possum. Why is it every night possum stew? Are you even listening to me? Are you even listening to me? I fancy Queen Victoria. I fucking hate possum stew. Well, you two just shut up. All of a sudden, revolver balls ripped through the canvas walls. The troopers ran out and began firing, but it was pitch black so they couldn't see where the shots were coming from. Sergeant Smythe was hit in the shoulder. Realising he could no longer use his left arm, he dropped his pistol and passed out. 
Just as quickly as it started, it was over, and Morgan disappeared back into the bush. The other troopers checked on Sergeant Smythe. When they saw he was bleeding profusely from his wounds, they took him to a local pub in the hopes of finding him medical attention, but he bled out and died. Uh, like a little shot of medicinal brandy, that'll fix you. Well, the original draft just said in the ho- they, they, they took him to a local pub, but he bled out and died. It sounded like they were like, a beer will cheer you up. All he yeah. needs is to just get a drink in him. We'll have a fun time. You'll feel better from your bullet wounds and everything will be okay. Well, yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Getting off on killing cops and feeling quite untouchable, Brazen Morgan next turned up at a race meet in Howlong, a little town in bumfuck nowhere on the Murray River. Morgan had a flutter on the horses and wandered around day-drinking rum. Sounds like a good day. <laughs> Everyone knew who he was, but with two revolvers on his belt, nobody was about to challenge him. Afterwards, Morgan went to the local pub for a meal. Probably a palmer. Yeah, probably. He told people there that he was going to head back into the Piney Ranges the next day as he preferred living in the bush. This must have been welcome news for the people of Howlong. Absolutely. <laughs> With a thousand-pound reward on his head, dozens of bounty hunters were now on Morgan's trail. He heard talk of this and tracked down one at Yarradoon Station. He walked up to him and said, Oh, Morgan, I believe you're looking for me, and then shot him in his bounty-hunting love junk. (laughs) The bounty hunter didn't die, but it took him and his love junk a long time to recover. (laughs) Next up on Morgan's erratic journey, he bailed up Mulwala Station. Fortunately for those present, he didn't shoot anyone or steal anything. You see, Morgan was looking for a guy by the name of Turner, who used to be the overseer there. The station workers told him Turner was not there anymore as he'd moved on. Morgan had a murdery boner for Turner, as he'd heard Turner had been dogging his movements to the cops. Fortunately for Turner, he wasn't there as Morgan would have surely killed him. The New South Wales Police Force were now spending £100 a week to try and find Morgan. Between all the plainclothes cops and bounty hunters, the days of Mad Dog Morgan were numbered, especially when the Felons Apprehension Act was passed in the New South Wales Parliament. This allowed anyone to shoot Morgan on sight because he had been proclaimed a dangerous outlaw. Morgan heard news of this and decided it might be a good time to leave New South Wales, so he headed back to Victoria. Morgan first turned up at Whitfield, trying to find Evans and Bond, the squatters who had shot him in the shoulder four years before. Not finding them, he stole some brandy and food and burned down their barn. I guess just leaving a note wasn't a tough enough thing to do. Dear Evans and Bond, I dropped by to kill you, but you weren't home. Hope to kill you soon. Love and kisses, Mad Dog Morgan. P.S. I burnt down your barn. (laughs) Still seeking revenge, Morgan headed to Benalla, but he had no luck in finding the bastards that shot him. So he headed to Winton, where he got himself another nice pub lunch. Another palmer? Yeah, probably. Mm. Maybe some uh, fish and chips, pie of the day. Yum. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, he robbed a bunch of Teamsters of £100. Later, Morgan attempted to rob a wagon driven by a man called Old Italian Jack. Jack was indeed from Italy and he was pretty old, like back in those days, probably yeah. 35. 35. <laughs> <laughs> Mad Dog said to him, I'm Morgan, how much money you got? Old Italian Jack replied, I've only got a few shillings. Feeling bad for the friendly codger, Morgan gave him a few pounds. For his next trick, Morgan bailed up the homestead of a Mrs. Warnby. 
With her husband away, Mrs Warnby was entertaining three young ladies with a late breakfast. Although uninvited, Morgan joined them and, like a gentleman, chatted with the women about local news. After breakfast, they took a stroll through the gardens. Morgan commented on the lovely flowers and sampled some grapes. Oh, Mrs Warnby, these roses are just delightful. He then robbed the women of all their money and took one of their horses. Kleptomaniac. Get out. On the evening of April the 8th, 1865, Morgan arrived at Peach Elba Station on the banks of the Ovens River. The owner, a Mr McPherson, was sitting in the living room with some guests from Melbourne when he noticed a dark, scruffy man on his veranda. Shortly afterward, someone knocked at the door. His son went to answer it and was greeted by Morgan waving two revolvers in his face. Once inside, Morgan said, I am Morgan, and I guess you've heard about me, then ordered everyone up against the far end of the living room. Alice Keenan, a young servant girl, came in from hanging up the washing and assumed the scene that she encountered was a practical joke. So you know what she did? She just walked away, thinking to herself, God, rich people have a lame sense of humour. Morgan went after her, and as he approached her, she turned around and playfully slapped him in the face. Morgan pulled out his revolver and said, Young lady, I am going to take the flashness out of you. Do you know who I am? I am Morgan, and you will not be playing any of these tricks with me. He marched her back into the living room, as Alice thought to herself, God, bushrangers have a fragile ego. He then demanded the servants prepare him a meal, probably a palmer. Yeah, do you guys know how to make chicken palmers? (laughs) Morgan said to Mr. McPherson, I have been in the bush for five days and I haven't had any sleep, so I'm going to head back to the Piney Ranges tomorrow where I hope to get some more rest. I hear those fancy Victorian policemen have been blowing about my capture and if I see any of those, I'll take the flashness out of them. Oh, when I came into the room, I heard a tune being played. <laughs> he kind of changed his, his, uh, his own tune then pretty dramatically. Right. Mr. McPherson explained that it was his daughter who was playing piano. Morgan politely walked up to her, crouched down and said, Young lady, would you favour me with a tune? Now, she did play for about an hour and then uh, Mrs McPherson got on the piano. Right, okay. Did some bawdy numbers, I think. Bawdy? I doubt it. I don't think you'd want to get that guy in the mood. He then had a little sook, uh, Hmm. complaining to everyone that he spent a lot of time alone on the run from the police and he had very little contact with anyone for weeks and and, and very little to eat. Well, you know, what's the point of having hostages except to have someone to listen to your whinge? Mrs McPherson referred to him as Mr Morgan at one point. Morgan told her, I don't want to be known as Mr. I don't like that. I prefer the more common appellation of just Morgan. Mr McPherson asked just Morgan, Well, do you enjoy the life you're in? Morgan said, No, I was forced (laughs) into this. In 1854, I was given a very severe sentence for a crime that I was innocent of. When I got out, I swore revenge against humanity. During this bizarre evening, a baby started crying in one of the back rooms. This did not please Morgan, who yelled, Someone go and quiet that infant, that wretched child. Alice, the servant girl, hurriedly went to attend to the infant. Fun fact, Tara, that baby was Christina McPherson, who together with Banjo Patterson later wrote the famous song, Waltzing Matilda. Ah. And born in the USA. No, they didn't write that one. And Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, well, yeah, obviously. That's actually true. (laughs) 
Once Alice had calmed baby Christina down, she climbed out of the bedroom window and went for help. After telling some station hands about the hostage situation, they went to the police. Clever Alice climbed back through the window and returned to the living room with Mad Dog Morgan none the wiser. For the remainder of the evening, Morgan regaled his captive audience with all the important thoughts that crossed his mind and he also groomed his long black hair and beard. Apparently he was combing his beard for hours. I don't doubt it. Yeah. The next morning, Morgan told the McPhersons that he was going to take all the men to the stockyards where he could press them for a horse. What Morgan didn't know was that he was now surrounded by 16 armed civilians and policemen who had removed all the good horses from around the homestead. They had replaced them with two hard-ass, unbroken monster horses. The idea was that if Morgan tried to ride one of these horses, it would probably throw him off and, you know, fingers crossed, trample him to death or something. Monster horses. Yeah, I love it. Better than monster trucks. As Morgan walked toward the stockyard, an armed civilian by the name of John Quinlan raised his rifle and fired, hitting mad dog Dan Morgan in the back. Though some historians say the shot was fired by John Wendlin. Morgan fell to the ground, badly wounded but still alive. Morgan was pissed off and shouted at the troopers, You cowards! You shot a man in the back! You didn't challenge me! Yeah, it's, it's dirty pool. Yeah. That's... Dirty pool shooting someone in the back. Yeah, but I mean, he's already shot people in the back too though, so he's a bit of a hypocrite. Well, yeah, that's not the point. <laughs> no, apparently not. The troopers took away Morgan's revolvers and all his personal belongings and then wondered if they should call a doctor. Quinlan said, nah, don't worry about it. He's going to die. Morgan looked up at him and replied, so will you one day. Sick burn, Morgan. Yes, that was a sick burn. You're Mm -hmm. right, Tara. The bullet had hit Morgan just below the shoulder blade on the left-hand side and taken out two vertebrae. It passed out through his neck but didn't hit any major organs or arteries. So, yeah, he might have lived if he'd got medical attention. Yeah, I'd say he would have. Morgan lived for six more hours. At around 1.45pm on April 9th, 1865, he died. His body was taken to Wangaratta for a detailed medical examination. It's there they found a large fibrous tumour about the size of a chicken egg at the base of his skull next to his spine. Now we can't help but wonder whether this tumour affected Morgan's personality and behaviour and contributed to why he was so erratic and violent. Yeah, I mean it really could have. Afterwards, locks were cut from his hair, his body was publicly displayed at Wangaratta and his beard was flayed from his face as a souvenir, which was divided up and passed around the macabre sightseers. A policeman at the scene stated that he did not object to these proceedings as he did not look upon Morgan as a human being. He's a robot. Yeah, a beardy robot. A once beardy robot. A once beardy robot Mm -hmm. who can ride monster horses. Later, Mad Dog Morgan's head was cut off and forwarded to the Professor of Anatomy at the University of Melbourne. I hope he was expecting that, because otherwise it would have seemed like, oh, God, I've got a package. Oh, I've got a package. Oh, Oh, bloody Oh, it's a head. A head, that's my favourite thing. I love heads. That's why I'm the head of anatomy. Uh, Come with me, my pretty little head. Come with me, my sweet little head. Over a century later, his exploits inspired the 1976 Osploitation film Mad Dog Morgan, starring Dennis Hopper. It's a cracker of a film. You can see it on YouTube. How did he go with the Aussie accent? Because people normally struggle with those. I'll let you decide. Even Meryl Streep, who is obviously brilliant at everything, had a little trouble when she was trying to do the Chamberlain. A dingo's got my baby. A dingo's got my baby. (laughs) 
And if you believe what happened in the movie, Morgan's scrotum was removed and used by the Governor of New South Wales as a tobacco pouch. Jesus, that was either like a really small tobacco pouch or he had a really big scrotum. Yeah, big balls, uh, Morgan, they called him. No, they didn't. And he was like, he would have been open to that, I think. I am Morgan. My balls are huge. Mad Dog Morgan was buried on April 14th, 1865 in Wangaratta Cemetery. And we're assuming he's still there. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we've checked or anything, though. Zombie Dan Morgan. Ooh. No, he wouldn't want to come back as a zombie because his beard's gone. Yeah, he can't, like, grow it back. He could get a fake beard. Also, he doesn't have zombie balls anymore, if, if the Dennis Hopper <laughs> oh, movie's correct. Yeah, and his head might fall off. Yeah, well, you know, it's, a, it's an occupational hazard. Mad Dog Dan Morgan was regarded as the most bloodthirsty ruffian that ever took the Australian bush. Well, that was a, quite a rollicking tale, wasn't That's it? That's a cracker, isn't it? Yeah. Bush rangers, huh? Yeah, I haven't done a bush ranger for a while. No. <laughs> That's good stuff. It is very interesting indeed. Mm. I have but one question. Yep. What is Aussie as? Ah, funny you should ask me that. Aussie as are tales of criminal stupidity with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Uh, I want to hear one, please. Alrighty, I got one. I got one right here. Now, um, you're going to see a theme for the whole episode becoming clear with this Aussie as. It wasn't deliberate, uh, but hey, I just figured I may as well go with it. Go with it. Mm-hmm. In early February 2018, Alice Springs resident Amy Ravenhall was having a pretty average day. She went to take the bins out, and as she was heading back inside, something fell out of the sky and nearly hit her on the head. She looked around, unsure what was going on. Had the weather girl's psychic prediction come true? Was it really raining men? Well, yeah, sort of. Ames picked up the palm-sized object and studied it. She told the NT News, I looked down and I couldn't believe what I saw. It was a massive pair of kangaroo balls. Unable to make peace with the idea of massive kangaroo balls falling from the sky, Ames decided that it might be an itchy grub nest instead. So for those not in the know, itchy grubs are like furry caterpillars that nest together in a silken sack that they weave onto tree branches. They get their name from the unfortunate rash that they give most people who touch them. Yep, even caterpillars want to kill you in Australia. I used to throw itchy grubs at girls I liked in primary school. Yeah, did they like that? No. No, they didn't? No. None of them went like, oh, Barney, I want to kiss you. Thanks for throwing a thing that kind of hurts me yeah, at I me. I don't do it anymore. Are you sure? <laughs> Not much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, catch. Oh, my God. Ames wasn't exactly sure what to make of it, so she decided to get a second opinion. She told NT News... I showed it to my husband. He kicked them a bit and agreed that it was kangaroo balls. Well, that's inside the scrotum, isn't it? The scrotum, I've seen the photo. Oh, there's a photo. She's she's like holding them in her hand, looking really kind of like, hey, this is a fun time to be having with my (laughs) kangaroo nuts. Well, she's right. Well, she's not wrong. In hindsight, Ames reckons that the big ball sack was probably dropped by a group of birds of prey that were circling above her house. She said, oh, there was a whole bunch of them, so they were probably fighting over the balls. Just how this unfortunate kangaroo lost custody of his balls is unknown. Perhaps he got drunk and misplaced them, or he lost them in a card game, or his ex-wife might have took them as part of an alimony settlement. We don't know. We don't know. 
Ames decided the experience of nearly being teabagged by Skippy was too good not to share. So she posted about it in the Alice Springs Community Open Forum Facebook page. She said of her post, Oh, there's so much horrible stuff going on in the world. I thought I'd let everyone know they could just have a bit of a laugh. Ames is thinking about putting the furry testicles up for auction on eBay, though frankly I'd like to see them get appraised by an upper-crust elderly English gentleman in a suit with a cravat on Antiques Roadshow. (laughs) Ames said, Apparently kangaroo scrotum purses are quite popular and expensive. Popular and expensive with who? Seriously, we walk around acting like Ed Gein was gross and yet we're okay with this as a society? Come on. Yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Well, everyone in this episode has ball purses. That's well, become a thing. I'd be all right with a kangaroo scrotum tobacco pouch, but on one condition, the kangaroo had to die of old age or something. Yeah. I don't want them specifically hunted just for me to have a place to put my tobacco. I just don't like any of it. No scrotum, nothing. <laughs> no, boom, sc- boom. no scrotum, nothing. That's yeah, the name vote, of my- vote for Tara. That's the name of my fourth album. The no scrotum, <laughs> nothing party. I'd vote for that. Yeah, well, rightly so. And that was it. It was a cracker. So this brings us to the end of another episode. But before we go, we'd like to thank some people who took the time to write us some good reviews. So thank you to Teacup2010 from the UK. And Mickey Ray, a mixed race pomegranate from London. I don't know how that works, but thank you. I don't know what that means. (laughs) We'd also like to thank our Facebook moderating team. We love our patrons, Tara, and in an attempt to show them how much we do, we're holding monthly giveaways. January's lucky winner of the Bloody Murder Tropical Travel t-shirt was Leah Mills. This month, we're giving away a set of funky Bloody Murder fridge magnets. They stick to your fridge. How do they do that? Nobody knows. To win, just join our Bloody Murder Patreon uh, at a level of $5 a month or above. Thanks for listening and thank you so much, patrons. We've had a bunch of new legends join our Patreon program, so thank you so much to Jessica Nicker, Vanessa Privet, Amanda Pfeiffer, Renee Craig-Ethan, Heather Colson, Ron Wright, Laurel Christick, Lynn Innes, Nellie Lerman, Hey Nellie, Emily L, Andy Marshall, and the lovely, lovely Melissa Spears. And we've got Mike Burns, who said I had to thank him, sounding like Michael Caine. Well, I mean, he didn't, like, put a gun to your head or anything, but he suggested it. Thanks a lot, Mike Burns. You're all right, aren't you? And all the rest of you patrons, you're a bit of all right, too. <laughs> okay, thanks for that, Michael Caine. How about I come around for a pint? <laughs> and a punch-on. <laughs> I like a punch-on after a pint. All right. a friendly punch-on. Calm down. If you would like to support us, visit our website, or if you just want to buy us a drink, that's my thirsty voice, there's a PayPal donate button there too. I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saraband. And this is Bloody Murder. Please don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts or our Facebook page. And of course, rate and subscribe, it really helps us. You can follow us um, through our Facebook page or join our Facebook group. At Twitter, we're at Bloody Murder Pod. And on Instagram, we're Bloody underscore Murder underscore Podcast. Check out our revamped website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for news galleries, more episodes and our fabulous merchandise. Thanks for sticking around and we'll be back very soon. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. You got a fade out story? All I've got is how I'm just like really horribly rude to people who don't don't like give me the coffee I want.
<laughs> Not sure I want to share yeah, that with the th- world. Thanks for that coffee shop at an unnamed shopping centre that gave us a thimble of coffee oh, and expected us to live off it. Oh, that was so shit house. The guy was like, what, is that all right then? And I went... Yeah, and he's like, oh, what, it's not okay? And I went, well, you said you don't have any other cups. These cups are crazy small, but, like, it's probably not your fault. So what am I going to do about it? Yeah. Yeah, he was, like, a floppy-haired young guy who thought he was really dreamy. And, yeah, I think he's a bit surprised that I wasn't just like, oh, you're so dreamy, I don't care that you've fucked up my coffee order and given me a thimble full of coffee. It's not going to get me out of the door of this bloody shopping centre. I need more coffee than that. Yeah, you feel quite strongly about this, don't you? I it can really tell. pissed me off. Yeah, I can tell. Stupid. Grumpy Tara is grumpy. Don't go Mad Dog Morgan on me. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll uh, cut your head off and flay your beard. I, and pass it around. Well, you know what I'll be using as a tobacco pouch in the next coming days, right? Um, kangaroo scrotum? Mm-mm. Well, you can't. Don't look at Leslo. I've had his removed already. Exactly. And who's the only other person here? With massive balls. With any balls. <laughs> Mad Dog Dan Morgan was born John Fuller in Appen, New South Wales, Australia, on April 30th, 1830, to Irish ex-convicts Mother Mary the Gypsy Oven, Owen. <laughs> She's a gypsy oven. That sounds that sounds a little bit holocaust Yes, Yeah, it's where you cookie gypsies. Yeah, no. We That's should, racist. We should not be cooking gypsies. No, they're no. lovely. Invite them to dinner for sure, but yeah, don't eat them. Yeah, but don't them. actually eat the gypsies. Don't eat the gypsies. Gypsies, they're for, they're for fun, not for eating. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. Stop eating gypsies. You get a gypsy curse. Yeah, like, well, I mean, you would deserve one. You would. Yeah, it's it's actually worse than denying them a bank loan, if, if, <laughs> if you can imagine. Well, I don't often... Well, drag me to hell, you know, yeah, the movie know. that we I love know. with a gypsy I, curse. I haven't Rah. said no to a bank loan to a, to a gypsy I've ever. never have. I always say yes. Oh. Can, can I lend a tenner? Yeah, sure. <laughs> they don't really, they probably don't, yeah, I don't I don't know if we're digging up or down right now. Yeah, I think, I think we, we should just I think stop. we might be digging down. Yeah. That bullet that hit Bayless, it's in a, in a Wagga museum now. You can mm. see it, the bullet. Okay, cool. Yeah. Not sure I'd go all the way to Wagga just to look at a bullet. But oh, come on. Let's do it now. No. We'll just finish this up and we'll go. Nah. Road trip. Surely there's a picture of it I could look at online and like not leave the room. Oh, it's not the same, though, being in the same room, is it? Why would she want to be in the same room? Well, maybe it? you can touch it and say, I touched something that. No, came you're never out allowed of- to touch stuff. I get no? in trouble at art galleries because sometimes I touch things. I don't mean to. Well, you shouldn't rub your butt on them, that's for sure. Well, I wasn't rubbing my butt, but apparently you shouldn't rub someone else's butt on them too. And that's where I, my misunderstandings came from. This was, well, part of why I got arrested the first time. Mm. In a pretty shitty plan to distract the troopers, Mad Dog Morgan heartlessly shot his mate German Bill in the chesticles. Yeah, uh, That's like the man boobs, right? Yeah, it's the man chest boobs. area. Chest, those bowly boob man boobs. <laughs> Do you want to talk about it more? Well. Tara, let me let me let me man explain it to you. Oh please! Uh, it's okay. not mansplaining; it's actually man explaining. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, well. Uh, let well. me tell you about the chesticles. Excellent. They're I kind am. of man boobs. They're bowly and they're boobs, and they're balls in your chest. Uh, chesticles. Well. <laughs> the way that you explain it just makes so much sense, sir. Oh <laughs> uh, well, thanks. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Mm. 
fucking go out there and kill the patriarchy I'm, I'm, myself today. I need a shower. Uh, yeah, I need like seven. Understandably, Morgan kept a low profile for the next year and stayed in a cave atop a large mountain, living off the land and grooming his now enormous and bushy beard. You can go and visit that cave. Really? Can you take the bullet it's, from the other scene with you? No, you can't, but you can go to the cave. It's more of an overhang, really. Yeah, can you, a, can you comb your beard in there? I could comb my beard in there. You could comb your own beard if you could grow one. I don't have a beard. You're a man in Wu Man. Come on. You just haven't tried hard enough. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear that. I hear that. You know what? If I could become a man, I think like I just fucking would. Yeah? I'm just over of this whole female gig. Fuck it. I'd like to become a man too. Yeah, well, if you figure out how, can you let yeah. me know? This 50-year-old boy thing is getting a bit old. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the cave's really awesome and you can see for miles. I mean, that's why he liked it. You could see people coming for miles and, um, yeah. Yeah, that would be handy. He could see the all wall. the no visitors that he gets. Well, that's right. And now for the conclusion of Bush Ranger, Mad Dog Morgan. In the autumn of 1865, notorious bushranger Daniel Morgan crossed from New South Wales into Victoria to do battle with the law for the last time. What happened has been a secret for over 100 years. Now the fascinating truth can be told. Stan! Or he'll blow your bloody head off and I'll knock out all your teeth. I want the cry of my hounds in his ears. I want his spleen on my desk by sundown. The truth about Mad Dog Morgan is now an epic movie, recreating the turbulent gold fields the sprawling sheep stations and the festering prisons of early Australia. Help, help! You wouldn't be so game if I wasn't tied down like a dog! Dennis Hopper. Stand up, all of you! Move forward! In the finest performance of his career, brilliantly recreates the enigma that was Morgan. A giant of a man trapped by the nightmare of his own legend. The way he looked at me. Lord, and dressing me with his eyes. God, nightmares for the rest of my life. God, thought of him kissing me, touching me. Horrible, disgusting. I've missed so much of my life, sir. And I'm not trying to be sentimental either. Do you know how lucky I am to be Dan Morgan, sir? Bloody Mad Dog Morgan brings you all the passion. The spectacle, the savage beauty of the tumultuous gold rush era, vividly portrayed by an outstanding cast. Ha ha! Boomerang! What next? A corroboree? You could have been shot. Shot be damned. I'm the magistrate of Wagga Wagga. The police across the river border are totally and completely incompetent. We will not tolerate anarchy in our colony. Everyone is talking about it. You won last 24 hours in Victoria. A senior officer here. I assume command of this situation. I'll get the bastard. He's a name with a thousand pounds reward and blood on his hands. This is Morgan Country, where it happened. And this is Morgan. 
ferociously violent, unexpectedly kind. My wagon? I'd be giving you a pound. And only for one reason, that I may have to take it back from you someday. Mad Dog Morgan. He's got giant balls, that one. Symbol of terror to the wealthy and the powerful. Burn it down, Billy! Burn it down! Burn it down! Was he a monster or a martyr? A ruthless bandit or a rebel hero? Outwitting, outriding, outgunning an army of police. Here at last is the truth about Mad Dog Morgan, the outlaw's outlaw. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 